Hello and welcome to the first podcast from the Open Mind Institute. My name is Paul Pizarus. I'm the Managing Director and Speaker at Tommy and I hope you enjoy the content that will follow. I hope to be consistent also uh, with anything that is meaningful and that, that offers value. It's all about consistency. So I will endeavor to do a minimum of one podcast a fortnight. But um, before we get into it, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about Tommy, the Open Mind Institute, and myself, and what you can expect on this podcast moving forward. So Tommy was started a few years ago together with a colleague of mine, Matesh Raniger. Uh, we both met at law school and went our separate ways with Matesh moving to New York and, and myself to London uh, to further our careers. But... Um, one thing we always had in common was personal development. And after 10 years or so practicing as litigation lawyers, we came, um, we sort of reignited our friendship, I guess you could say, and we decided to start Tommy. And what Tommy does in general is we are in the business of opening minds, of enhancing mental capability. So what we do is we go into organizations, schools, non-for-profits, and we deliver uh, seminars, speeches. Um, we've also put together a mind fitness program, which consists of 10 workshops covering topics in the mental enhancement space, such as mindfulness, critical thinking, uh, metacognition, emotional intelligence, resilience, things that we are extremely passionate about, things that we are consistently researching and developing and fine tuning. And in addition to that, we also offer one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching. So that's Tommy in a nutshell. And in terms of what you can expect on the podcast moving forward is the most recent uh, research and readings that we undertake uh, and that we deliver to our clients. So uh, for instance, at the moment, um, I've been uh, researching uh, psychological processes and today um, and developmental processes by by uh, psychologists and we implement these into our training so today's podcast the first inaugural podcast I wanted to discuss with you the um, epigenetic principle which was developed by a very very famous psychologist um, Eric Erickson, which you may have heard of. And um, so Erickson developed this epigenetic principle uh, primarily to, to showcase the various stages that we have from our birth until our death. And the stages that, that he came up with, he maintained were these predetermined steps and depending on how you, um, I guess, how you went through those steps or how you came out of those steps, whether it was a positive or negative uh, experience or bearing on your life, then that would go on to affect the rest of your life and also affect the, um, the next step, so to speak. So in a nutshell, he broke it down um, in two vital components and that is firstly um, 
it's our personality. So our personality develops along these predetermined steps. But the, the other side to that is that society has a major part, right? Our culture, um, the system in which our society is built upon and structured, this has a massive impact and, and it invites challenges uh, during each stage. So there are eight stages in total and I'll briefly take you through them um, before we discuss a certain viewpoint that I have. So the first stage that, that Erickson talks about as part of his uh, epigenetic principle is trust and mistrust. So during our infancy, we depend upon the nurture, the guidance, the love, and the care displayed towards us from our parents, our guardians, people that, that bring us up. And it's during this crucial time as an infant that we develop trust that starts out by reliance. You know, we rely on these these caregivers to feed us, to provide us with, with love and change our diapers and look after us when we're sick. But then as the infant gets a little bit older, um, a great deal of trust is placed in that caregiver to guide them through those very first and crucial steps in life. Even in a dysfunctional uh, upbringing or family, it's crucial for that infant to have at least you know, a minimum of one a fundamental relationship with a person that's very close to them to to give them that that trust and that guidance through life. And Erickson maintains that um, you know this is the first uh, stage of development, and he maintains that you know it's crucial that trust is gained because if there isn't any trust, there is mistrust, and that goes on to affect the rest of the stages. So that's the first one: trust versus mistrust. And then when a child gets a little older, between the ages of two and three years, the next stage is autonomy versus shame or doubt. So the first two or three years of a child's life is also uh, crucial. And autonomy is all about whether the child is allowed to uh, explore life, explore doing things, um, is allowed to do things by themselves and depending on how severely they are reprimand, reprimanded when they make an error, um, then this will you know, determine as to whether they have a, a degree of doubt, self-doubt or shame as an adult. So that's the second stage, autonomy versus shame and doubt. The third as the child gets a little older still, when he's about, or he or she, when they're about four or five years of age, the next stage is initiative versus guilt. Initiative versus guilt, it's all about whether a child's initiative in doing a task uh, is encouraged or is punished. So if the child displays a degree of, of initiative, um, then you know whether the, the parent punishes that child 
for that initiative or reprimand, reprimands that child will have a, a greater bearing um, on the next stage of this uh, of the stages of development. So yeah, uh, initiative versus guilt is an interesting one because you know it can also lead to whether I guess as a child grows up, you know, if, if this stage is not really fulfilled correctly and the child is is made to feel guilty for taking initiative, for, for doing a certain task, then that uh, you can draw an inference that that child will go on to perhaps experience life in a very uh, insular or insecure manner. So if that initiative, again, is rewarded, and confidence is instilled in that child, then you can draw the inference that that child will uh, grow up to be an extrovert and won't be afraid to roll up their, their sleeves and get on with the task irrespective of the uh, environment they're in. So they're the first three steps. Before I get to the next step, which is uh, industry versus inferiority, which takes place in middle childhood, I just want to sort of digress and point out that a lot of people don't know that you know in the first six to seven years of our lives, our subconscious blueprint is laid, and that is when we are doing things. Our brain is absorbing information, and we are doing things for the first time. And it's when our concept of self, self-identity, our beliefs, our values, and you know these foundations are more or less laid in those first six to seven years. And from this template, from this foundation, we then go on to compartmentalize our experiences in accordance with that subconscious blueprint or template. So back to Erickson's stages of development. The fourth stage, industry versus inferiority, takes place in middle childhood. Now, what do we call middle childhood? I would say that that's approximately when uh, that subconscious bracket, you know, six to seven years has taken place. I would say, you know, seven or eight years of, of age, uh, industry versus inferiority. So it's when the child is acquiring fundamental skills to survive in the world. You know, it's whether they have a good grasp on reading, writing, numbers, mathematics. They can handle themselves in a social situation, good problem-solving skills. You know, as a young adult, you should be able to uh, interact with with people that are unfamiliar to them with, with some degree of confidence and reassurance. You shouldn't, ideally, having... You, know, you shouldn't be hiding behind a parent. You should have some degree of confidence and um, I guess that's the industry component of it. You should have acquired uh, these the skills, so to speak, to, to begin to survive on your own. Now, the, the antithesis of this, of course, will result in inferiority. So if that child, let's say, for example, is made to feel 
unworthy, if that child is ridiculed by their peers or particularly by their family, their loved ones or their teachers, you know, for not acquiring those skills, then that can be extremely damaging, extremely damaging and can cause a great deal of inferiority as they get older. Which leads us to the next stage, the fifth stage of Erickson's um, epigenetic principles. The fifth stage is identity versus role confusion. So this is in adolescence, right? As a teenager, we begin to form this concept of identity. We, and if you think back to, you know, your high school, your informative years, you have this concept of self, this concept of identity. You have a fair idea of your place in the world and of the human ecosystem that, that makes up your immediate society, your school, um, peers. You know, you have your various groups, whether they're the nerds or the Greek or the, the Greeks. <laughs> That's my background. I was going to say the geeks. Um, you know, yeah, you have those perceived uh, astute people or peers or, or, or um, you know, high, people that attend your high school and at the other end of the pendulum you have the cool cats, the um, people smoking cigarettes. I guess they don't really do that these days anymore. It's showing my age but but you know where I'm going with this. You know, you, you have this multitude of various um, identity pockets that you identify with and depending on where you are at the, in, in the world and, and from a cultural um, perspective it also exists I spent a few years in London and it was um, incredible to see that the various the multitude of various identities that people have and maintain vigorously you know from from the punks to uh, the people into hip-hop and um, you know the rude boys and and um, geezers and you know there's just various types of, of people who who have identified with being someone and that's who they are and that's who they will defend and that's who they identify with and we do this on this human biological level. It's, an, it's a natural, organic thing to develop an identity. Now role confusion um, is the flip side. So it's identity versus role confusion. So if you don't really have an identity or if you're struggling to find one, during this very important stage in your life, which is your adolescence, and that, that may result to a great deal of uncertainty as you move forward into adulthood. You know, and just speaking from my own personal um, experiences or background, so I, uh, my parents migrated to Australia from Greece, and and I think you know, similar to places like the United States and and Canada that experienced a great influx of migration, you had almost this new generation, this bicultural generation that didn't really fit in with the um, mainstream society. And what I mean by that is that, um, and I felt this personally as well, you know, as did my, my cousins and the people I grew up with. It's like you had two identities. You know, we had to fit in with mainstream Australian culture and it's almost we were wearing two masks and then you had your, your Greek culture which you were very proud of 
Um, but growing up here, particularly in Brisbane in the 1980s, 1990s, um, you know, there were, there were many pockets of multicultural Australia that were almost ashamed of who they were when you were confronted with this, um, this Australian culture. Now, I'm really pleased to say that the pendulum has completely, um, you know, swung in the opposite direction. And uh, I would say, just looking at this generation, you're more proud of your initial culture, so to speak, you know, and, and you know, you no longer have to wear two masks. But back in the day when I was growing up, it was like you were ridiculed for having a different culture. I remember being in primary school in grade three and, and being beat up by, um, there was this blonde kid, Greg Woodgate, and he was very popular, this young Aussie kid, and, and he had three or four brothers in, in grade five or grade six. And um, I was beat up for, for being a wog, for just being different. You know, and that that has that has a bearing on your life. Of course, it does. But but it was like I was made to feel ashamed for for having parents who were from Greece, and they would say to me, well, "Go back to where you came, to where you come from. You know, you're Greek. You don't belong here." And the irony is that you know when you go to Greece with your family for a holiday, they then laugh at you and say, "Well, you're a skippy the bush kangaroo. That go back to where you're from." So you have no concept of identity, or you do, but you know it, it's a, it's a by concept. You have you have two identities, so this is something that many people can can uh, relate to. I feel, um, and again, I'm digressing. But one thing I'm really passionate about is the um, the culture. I have a great deal of respect, limitless respect for the um, I guess the forefathers, the traditional owners of this country, Aboriginal Australians. It's the longest living culture in the world and I noticed growing up that they were ridiculed for being black for being Aboriginal um, but I'm I'm really you know glad to to see that the, the new generation coming through uh, won't have a bar of that they are fiercely proud of being the traditional owners and they have carved out and forged an identity that cannot be broken it can be ridiculed by those who still wear the blinkers, so to speak, but they are comfortable, they are proud of their identity. And that's a, a beautiful thing to see. And I'm hopeful that, you know, as we continue through the generations, that identities are respected, irrespective of where people come from. And I think if we fast forward a few generations, my prediction is that our identities will become fused in that although we have every right to be proud of where our lineage comes from, we will be even more proud to say that we are part of humanity. We are part of a global collective conscious that shares similar identity that shares emotion at the very core level we we share these attributes of love of compassion so again I'm digressing but going back to identity versus role confusion so as an adolescence if if you have uh, identity confusion as I did but I very glad to say that that I came out of it and funnily enough now 
you know, although I am proud of my Greek heritage, I do not let it define me. You know, yes, I'm part of this Australian culture, but people who have not met me, and we all do this, we all stereotype people from what they look like, but people who um, who look at me, I have these Mediterranean features, they may assume that I um, identify with being Greek or Greek Australian and, and they will label you and, and you know, uh, conveniently pigeonhole you. But I'm very secure in my identity and that is I am part of a human, of the human race. You know, I see the good in uh, all religions, I see the good in all cultures and I'm a part of that. I'm a part of the mosaic tapestry that is humanity and I'm very comfortable in, in that. So moving right along, after identity versus role confusion, we have uh, intimacy versus um, isolation, and we experience this as a young adult. So once that, you know, once we are secure or insecure in our identity, that will then determine whether we can share that in our intimate relationships. You know, so um, I met my wife, for example, as a young adult. Uh, my identity at the time was, you know, rolled up with, uh, you know, being Greek, but also I had my university peers and, um, you know, but I was, I was secure. I think I came out of that, um, that indecision or that confusion about, you know, having two cultures, bicultural tendencies. Um, and I, I became very secure in who I was and that then translated, you know, I was able, and again, I'm speaking from a personal level, but I was able to take that concept of identity into my relationship with my beautiful wife and next year um, we would have been together for 20 years, which is bloody scary. Married for 10 years, together for 20 years and we have three young uh, children, two girls who are nearly four and my son Alexander, who was turning seven. Uh, but the point being is that you know intimacy versus isolation. So, and again, you can sort of trace this back. If you had an identity crisis, and again, this doesn't necessarily translate or personify cultural identity. You know, it. it Obviously, there are many ramifications and hard times that, that come along with being uh, bi or gay or transsexual, you know, or perhaps suffering from a disability. But again, I think what's really interesting in all of this is that initially we seek to identify who we are through the eyes of other people, you know, and that's something I think we need to overcome. Again, I'm digressing. <laughs> But, um, you know, back to uh, intimacy and, and isolation. So if you're, if you're able to take your identity and take that into an intimate relationship, then you're, you're sharing your experiences and you're also forging a new identity with those new relationships. So that's the sixth stage of Erickson's epigenetic principle or his stages of development. The next one, stage seven, is uh, generativity versus stagnation. So what he means by generativity 
is, and again, this, uh, this takes place in middle adulthood, and this is where I find myself now. Uh, I'm 41 years of age, and I believe I'm in stage seven, which is um, what, what he means by generativity is, is taking what we've learned as a child, as an adolescent, as a young adult, and passing that on to the next generation, you know, in establishing and guiding the next generation. And I think there's a great deal of meaning that, that comes along with this stage in your life. And I'm not suggesting that you have to have kids to uh, extract this meaning, because it could be if, if you have no plans to have kids that you... Uh, may mentor a niece, a nephew, or or you might be involved in the community where you mentor someone who's younger than yourself and extract the same uh, meaning. But I think the real meaning comes from the fact that, and I've experienced this personally, you know, you're there to guide your kids. But then it's like there's a flip side to that coin and that you need those kids to guide you, it's almost that they make you a better human being. And I'm sure many parents can, can relate to that. You know, there's little lessons along the way that that they teach you, that they point something else, something out about yourself that you didn't realize was there. And I think that's a very magical part of life. And personally, I can, I can testify to the fact that my, you know, my three beautiful kids have helped me become the man that I am today. And the flip side of that, so it's, um, you know, generativity versus stagnation. The stagnation part comes into the equation that if, if you don't give yourself over to giving back, and it doesn't have to be to someone younger, but giving back to the community, then you're missing out on that meaning. You know, and perhaps you may find yourself, um, you may find yourself feeling empty, feeling comfortably numb because you're looking to fulfill short-term pleasures. You know, it's all centered on the ego and sufficing what makes you happy. And there's a, there's a degree of selfishness in that. You know, because I think if, if you've gotten to my age and you haven't, because there's no doubt when you get to my age, when you're, when you're 40, you've acquired experiences, you've acquired knowledge. And the true meaning of life is in having relationships where you can share your experiences, share your knowledge, pass that on. But if you've gotten to this stage and you haven't uh, you know, forwarded what, what you've learnt in some way, then... Other people are missing out on what you have to offer in life, you know, and that may result in stagnation. You will find that you may feel depressed because you, you haven't really extracted meaning out of life. So I think that's a very crucial stage. And the last stage, my friends, is uh, ego integrity versus despair. Now, what do we mean by that? So we we get to this stage in our later adulthood. I think the good thing about life today is that we are living to be older. Uh, 
you know, we have a lot more technology at our disposal. Speaking from my own experiences, I think, you know, we've learned from the errors of uh, the previous generations, you know. And, um, you know, my father died from lung cancer when I was when I was 17, he was in his 40s. You know, we know now that smoking's bad and drinking excessively and taking drugs excessively will do us damage. And personally, I want to be here for as long as possible uh, to guide the next generation to see my grandkids, to see my great-grandkids get older. So ego integrity versus despair is reflecting on the question of whether your life has been worthwhile. And that's it in a nutshell, really. Is that, you know, if you can be in the last decade or so of your life and you can look back and you can reflect that um, that what you've had to offer has been worthwhile, then you have ego integrity. If, however, you're experiencing despair and again, this is why these eight stages are linked. It could be that during your middle adulthood, you, you didn't have the opportunity or ceased to grasp the opportunity to give back in some way. So there you have it. They're the, the eight stages of Eric Erickson's epigenetic uh, principle slash the eight stages of development. And what I wanted to briefly discuss is that, you know, this has been around for some time. And is a, you know it's a very recognised um, de de developmental uh, philosophy of life, and and many not a philosophy, but more so of a, a psychological um, psychological stage stage of development that has been analysed by leading psychologists. You know, and I think what's really crucial now that I look at them is that that that's period between, you know, after your subconscious template has been laid. So, you know, from perhaps your middle childhood to being a young adult, you know, and then just to sort of recap it, you know, it's industry versus inferiority, identity versus role confusion, intimacy versus isolation. What I really wanted to, to touch on is that I, I think our our world is always changing. Nothing is ever fixed. Nothing is ever permanent. The world is always changing in some way. But I think the dynamics of our global ecosystem, particularly I'm referring to technology and the effect that that is having on this next generation, I believe that these crucial de de uh, developmental stages are becoming hampered or are being adversely affected in some way through through technology, through these changes that we are seeing uh, culturally, globally, and um, I think that's you know that's something that's that's really up for discussion. Um, you know, for instance, you know, identity. Um, or, or, or industry acquiring those skills that I spoke about, I think to a, to a degree we're losing fundamental quintessential human, human skills, you know, skills to communicate, to, to express who we are at our core. These are being diluted because we are, 
glued to screens. We are plugged in to the matrix. Our connection is being severed, although we've never been so connected you know, on this digital platform. But on a human platform, um, the essence of who we are, there's a great deal of disparity in that. So I think that these uh, develop, developmental stages are really being tinkered with or tweaked in, um, you know, in a disadvantaged or, or yeah, disadvantaged way of some sort, if that makes sense. So I think it's a very interesting topic. Um, you know, there's no doubt we go through life and we develop um, in accordance with our our environment, but our environment is changing, and it's something we need to be conscious of. It's something that we need to lend we need to lend support, particularly to young adults. So that's something for reflection. If you've stayed with me for this long, I'm now 33 minutes in. I take my hat off to you. I'm not wearing a hat, but if I did, I would take it off to you. But I think these are very interesting discussions, and I look forward to having further interesting discussions with you. So thank you very much for joining me on Tommy's first podcast. I look forward to your company moving forward. And remember, always keep an open mind.